Well, hey, listen, I've got a little mystery for you today. Nice. A little... A little French scuba diving mystery. Where we need... We might need the help of Inspector Clouseau. I, I only say uh, Clouseau and say it in French because uh, the guy's name in this is Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre. Okay. No worries. So uh, Jean-Pierre. But it's a little bit of a... Uh, it's not quite a recipe for disaster, but it is one of those lessons for life where there's a bit of a turn for the worse hmm. in this lesson. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. So, hey, everybody, welcome back to The Great Dive Podcast. You're here with old Jamesy coming at you live from Pandemic 2021. Pandemic 2021 headquarters coming at you recorded live. This just in. Stay where you're at. It's going to be a while. <laughs> Get comfortable. That's what, uh, that should have been the motto for 2020. Get comfortable. comfortable. It's going to be a while. (laughs) That's true. So, hey, in, um, as we get close to next week, which I know you're getting excited for because we're not really going down cave diving, but it is the beginning next week of, National Great Dive Podcast, national, just recently upgraded to International Cave Diving Month. Last two weeks of January, first two weeks of February. I know you've been waiting for it. I've been waiting for it. The people have been waiting for it. And next week, we get back at it. But before that, we're going to get back to some good, fun, Great Dive podcast stuff that the people always love. And we're going to look at an old scuba situation on a little lesson to be learned where things take a quote-unquote turn for the worse. This was written by John Hardy. This takes place in the early 2000s. 
way, way back in the early 2000s, my son. When we were just young lads. So let me tell you this little story about Jean-Pierre et Todd. Let me, uh, let me set the scene. Let me uh, set uh, la mise en scène aujourd'hui. Jean-Pierre, Jean-Paul, not Jean-Pierre, different guy. Jean-Paul was in his mid-30s. You know how old that is, Brando? En français? Milieu des années 30. Okay. He's in his mid-30s. All right. It's a bilingual podcast. For all our friend, all our Frenchies out there, I think you're being a little snooty. (laughs) (laughs) Jean Paul had successfully completed his open water scuba diver course, and after making a number of open water dives on his own. Jean Paul enrolled in an advanced open water course, a bit of an eau libre avancée, so they say. The purpose of one of the dives in this advanced open water course that Jean Paul had just signed up for was to practice buoyancy control and navigation. At the same time? We. It's impossible, I say. Not only are we going to go scuba diving, but we need to control de la flottabilité et nouveau arrivant. Oui, oui. Is this story in French? Is it written in French? Or are you, uh, you just add it? Why is it, is it, does my French sound that perfectly journalistic? No. You could be speaking Taiwanese to me, and I, I don't know any I, French. I kind of am speaking Taiwanese with a French accent. <laughs> there you go. This is uh, clearly uh, Eastern France. You, you can tell by the dialect. Sous la jour de la plongée. Uh, that uh, means on the day of the dive. Okay. On the day of the dive. Okay, this, this uh, podcast is going to go extra long if we have to... Go back set- and forth between French and English. <laughs> I'm setting the stage. <laughs> okay. For this dive, Jean-Paul was buddied up with Todd. Todd was a young garçon of 15 years, just out of his open water course. And the two of them did not know each other. They'd never dived together before. So, of course, they make a perfect dive buddy team on a typical dive. Of course they do. That's the best dive buddy you can have is one who doesn't know your bad habits. So you, <laughs> right, you, don't you wanna, appear to be perfect. You don't want to <laughs> give yourself away <laughs> before you even get in the water. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the day of the dive. Conditions were calmer than normal. And visibility was better than normal. The dive was to be made from shore in cold... Dans les foies, repetitive, uh, relatively shallow water, le peu profond, and in a kelp bed, dans les vaches, so to say. So it sounds like it's like a SoCal Catalina y kind of dive, right? Right. Shore dive. But is he in France? No. His name is just French. 
We do not know. <laughs> we don't know where he is. Okay. The setting, the la mise en scène could be changed to protect the innocent, monsieur. Okay, now that's just an accent. An overly exaggerated accent at that. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Le Blanchet. Jean-Paul led the way. He set the pace and he told Todd how he thought the dive should be conducted. At first, the dive went as planned, although neither diver was skilled at navigation or buoyancy control. They both managed adequately. So this is in early 2000s where you didn't generally learn buoyancy control in your scuba diving class. As witnessed by neither Todd nor Jean-Paul, have buoyancy control, so to say, as a skill that they can perform while attending their advanced open water program. It was kind of thought by a lot of divers, diver instructors back in the day. I mean, I remember back in the, the late 90s, a lot of the instructors that were on staff at my shop would say that buoyancy control isn't something that you can teach. You know, the student just has to learn that on their own. Right. Well, I kind of get what they're saying, but do you agree with that? I think you can at least give them the foundational knowledge and uh, set them up to, to succeed at buoyancy control. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, with, you know, with proper education, every diver should have a modicum good buoyancy, of buoyancy control. control. Yes. Yeah. Maybe not precision cave diving buoyancy control. Maybe not shipwreck penetration level buoyancy control. But they should have good buoyancy control for an appropriate open water dive. This time of day or year, you should be saying maybe not ice diving buoyancy control. Maybe not ice diving buoyancy <laughs> control. Maybe not... Traveling to the Caribbean buoyancy control because <laughs> you're not allowed to do that. Actually, nowadays, really the only buoyancy control you need in 2021 is how to sit on the couch and watch a show about scuba diving level buoyancy control. That's not a very high level of buoyancy control. So, Todd was using his air rather, uh, you know, too sweet, if you know what I mean, Brando. He's, uh, you know, Going through it rather quickly. So he signaled to Jean-Paul that we should surface. Let's go up. Because he was going through his air pretty quick. Now, on the surface, Jean-Paul told Todd that, no, we're going to go back down and we're going to share air. You can use my octo while we swim toward shore under the canopy of all the kelp. So they proceeded to do this until some confusion developed over the air sharing technique. And Todd, once again, gave the signal to surface. Todd surfaced using his own regulator and waited for Jean-Paul. When Jean-Paul didn't surface, Todd, Todd swam to shore and, of course, informed who... That was still back at shore because the instructor, because the instructor doesn't have to get in the water. I forgot this is a class. 
I'm over here all engrossed in your in your beautiful romance language of French, and uh, yeah, I got lost in your in the dreamy French accent. Forgot completely. This was a class with an instructor. He doesn't even have to get in the water. No. Oh. J'attends le plonger. <laughs> I will stay right here. Why get in the water? It's all wet yes. in there. Well, you know, when you're teaching it's an advanced teach class sure. <laughs> and uh, you're doing the buoyancy dive, like what can you really teach him in the water? You just tell him to go, hey, listen on this dive, guys. I want you to have good buoyancy control. And when they come back and you go, how was your buoyancy control? And they say, it was great. Now all you have to do is congratulate them, shake their hand, and move on to dive two. The navigation dive. On this dive, I want you to navigate well. Don't forget, also add that buoyancy from dive one in there. And when they come back, swimming on the surface because they clearly got lost and couldn't navigate back to the starting point, and you ask them, how was your buoyancy and your navigation? And they say it was good. You can once again shake their hand. It was très bien, monsieur. When would they say sacre blue? Well, that's what the instructor's about to say right now. He's going, sacre bleu. He's working on his elite instructor rating, his elite instructor uh, little certificate that he's going to get from these guys. Well, he was. He was an elite instructor. Until until he found out that Jean-Paul was missing. And now you know what he's going to say. Fargs! <laughs> Old Fargs comes into the uh, equation. So a search was quickly put together that included some experienced and trained rescue divers. Not just any Joe Blow, but some real plongeur de sauvetage. And with Jean-Paul's last known position unclear, unfortunately, the search took longer than it should have. Jean-Paul was eventually found on the bottom, unconscious, not breathing, with the regulator still in his mouth and very little air left in his tank. He was pronounced later that day dead at the local hospital. Now, I told you, this is a little bit of a mystery, underwater mystery. So let's take a look at uh, L'Enquête. Oui? The Investigation. For our now, three French listeners, I hope you appreciate this. <laughs> <laughs> now, remember how the story sounded earlier, because the coroner's investigation downloaded the data from Jean-Paul's dive computer and found that the data didn't really match Todd's version of the events that happened. Todd, I suspect foul play. Dun, dun, dun! Sacre bleu! (laughs) A dive computer expert was called in to interpret the data. I didn't know that was a career option. I'm going to I'm going to have I'm going to have a talk with my guidance counselor. All this all this scuba diving I've been doing for the last 30 years, I should be a dive computer data expert. Now the computer showed that Jean-Paul exhibited poor depth control and a very high breathing rate. It also showed that he made 
two rapid ascents and descents that the computer's air alarm went off and his reserve air was used. <laughs> yeah, so if you've got a air integrated computer, you can program that I, I want, you know, air time remaining to tell me I'm at zero minutes when I'm at a thousand PSI or whatever. You can set it in the little reserves. Yeah, but that's like putting your clock like 10 or 15 minutes ahead. The thing is, you look at it and you automatically adjust it in your head. You're like, ah, I'm fucking 10. I've, got, I've still got 15 minutes. I'm like, this is what my, I, I have a wonderful, beautiful wife who does this, which absolutely <laughs> drives me bad. I'm like, why do we have, why do I look at a clock and right, I know you, there's no you right time? Because you look at time, the clock right? and you're like, 8.30 already. Exactly. <laughs> you take off, you, you'll fly into your destination and then you find out you're 20 minutes early. Right. What the hell am I doing? How did... I keep that all the clocks moving ahead. I'm like, okay, well, that that sounds great in theory, but in reality, I just adjust. Now I just adjust. Now, God forbid, you change it back to real time. It could be late for everything. It's a it's a game. It's a game you play when you're it's when like you're married. The, it's like the never ending snoozer. Exactly. Why don't you just set the alarm? an hour and a half later so you get a good hour and a half of extra sleep at the end and then when it goes off you get up and and you're well rested rather than having really bad sleep for an hour and a half before you got to get up and do something important i mean i understand the the little bit of joy you feel with the snooze button that you can like the buzzer goes off you reach over and you're like, oh, groggy. You don't want to get up. So you go, okay, I hit the snooze. And it gives you a, like a brief little interjection of joy. Like, oh, I don't really have to get up now. But it's it, you've got three, seven minutes, whatever you've got your snooze set at, you're going to have to get up. And I don't know. I'm, I'm old military, which is there was no snooze button. So I guess this could be an interesting discussion about how there is a difference between planning your critical gas supply, your rock bottom, so to say, and just plugging into your computer, hey, beep at me when I hit 1,000 PSI. So, I mean, what happens if, if that accidentally gets turned off, that reserve feature, and you think, oh, when it's at zero, I'm, I've still got 1,000? Are you calling the dive time <laughs> remaining alarm the J-valve of dive computers? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't even take much of a far-fetched imagination to see how this could be a, a bad day. Well, we teach to our open water students that are just learning to scuba dive how to calculate the minimum amount of gas in a volume that you're going to need in an emergency to get to the surface for every single dive you do. Once you get that certified congratulation C card right from day one. Right. Rather than just putting an arbitrary alarm number at a thousand PSI to, you know, you know, quote unquote, do, you know, theoretically to do the same thing, to have that reserve supply. But there's a big difference with taking the, what, two minutes to figure it out and internalize it before the dive of what you need in, a, in an emergency versus just trusting a computer to beep at you and tell you what it is, which may or may not even be the correct volume of gas. Yeah, the uh, 
the calculation for reserve gas supply event of an emergency is nothing. It, it takes a few seconds. But the more you do those dives, the more you see, you know, there's a range of depths and times that you, you'll have so much PSI in reserve. The more you do it, the easier it gets. It becomes from two minutes, it goes to 10 seconds. Yeah. And as part and as part of any yeah, and as part of any good dive plan that two dive buddies should be learning, particularly when they're about to get an advanced certification. Right? Because is that not the one thing that should, you know, differentiate you from just a basic diver is I'm advanced now, so you would think that I can plan a dive and know what I need to take with me. Because I am advanced. <laughs> I am advanced, of course. So let's look at this investigation report and how it differed from Todd's original story. So they say here that when Todd was questioned further by investigators, he admitted that he was scared and confused during the first interview and the record presented by the computer was accurate. So he must have had a little bit of the old good cop, bad cop hounding him <laughs> in the interrogation room. You can't handle the truth, is what he was thinking. He was taken in an advanced class, and he was barely qualified for his open water. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> the truth is, you sleep safely because men like me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Truth yeah. is, you should be diving safely because instructors like me are ensuring buoyancy control and navigation. Nouveau arrivant. Hey, control de la flottabilité. Okay, it's not the same in French. It's just not the same. It loses a lot of its allure, its, its uh, impact. You sleep safely because men like me are teaching scuba instructors but deep down inside you are repulsed by my very existence so i'd appreciate it if you <laughs> just pack up your scuba gear and toddle away nicely brando did you order the code red <laughs> <laughs> you're goddamn right i ordered the code red <laughs> later in todd's deposition for the ensuing legal actions he said he wanted to exit on the surface, but Jean-Paul did not. That Jean-Paul was not responding appropriately to Todd's hand signals. That Jean-Paul insisted on sharing air and Todd deferred to him. And that they had difficulty sharing air. Also, in the final moments of air sharing, Todd got snagged in kelp. Jean-Paul refused to stop ignored Todd, and pulled the alternate regulator from Todd's mouth, confusing which second stage regulator was being used by whom. Todd got water in his mouth, finally switched to his own regulator, signaled John Paul to surface, and got no acknowledgement, then surfaced out of air and waited. So quite a difference from that original story, where they went up together and... Uh, Jean-Paul said, hey, let's go down and swim on my octo. Well, I think he got rattled by the fact that his dive buddy just died on this kid. This kid just got out of open water and got signed up for an advanced class. 
uh, Jean-Paul at least had a couple of dives in between open water and advanced. So I think he's looking at, oh my God, this guy just died. Uh, I, I think in his head at the time, he's probably telling the story of the way he wished it kind of would have happened compared to, you know, what we're finding out now that, you know, he wanted to exit and go up, but Jean-Paul didn't. And there was no communication between the two of them because they're just two, you know, buddies that got thrown in the water together that don't know how to stay in touch with each other, don't know how to stay in communicative positioning with each other, don't know how to flat out how to communicate to one another. There's a big difference, right? And we say this a lot, that being a teammate underwater is not the same thing as being a buddy. And a buddy generally is going to be a bad thing. A teammate's a really good thing to have in the water, but just a random other diver is not necessarily an asset. And often what we find out, it's the opposite. Well, there's you, you just made the argument for solo divers. <laughs> well, absolutely. But we, we've had that conversation before. Yeah. Like, what would you rather have? Uh, would you rather do a solo dive yourself or would you rather get buddied up with a terrible dive buddy? Right. Well, I'd rather have my teammate with me. How's that? Uh, right. You, that's the that's the you know false dichotomy you're, you're giving there, which is like you only have these two choices: you go by yourself, or you go with the, uh, a buddy you don't know that could be bad. But there's really another choice. <laughs> well, yeah. Two other choices, really. Don't dive. I don't know if there's anybody who's like you know got a gun to their head, going, "You will dive now." And it would be a German guy with this accent, or Austrian at the worst. Or it could be honest. Hey, this is a French story. <laughs> Get in the water now if you want to live or if you want to die. Uh, anyway, yeah, the, the false dichotomy is you either dive with a bad buddy or you dive by yourself when actually you can not do the dive. Or yeah, another one, a, a really good one, is dive with your teammate. Yeah, or, or we can make sure that divers understand what it means to be a teammate before they get their certification. That would take revolutionizing the entire scuba education community and industry. That would take changing from within. Come on, be real. You're not going to get many elite instructor certificates. <laughs> If, if I'm spending you, all my time teaching somebody how to be a dive buddy? How to be a good diver and dive buddy. Now, the idea to go back down to depth and swim under the kelp, that, that, that canopy of kelp at the surface, set up a couple of problems for these guys, right? Because, number one, you know, they really didn't have sufficient gas to be trying to share gas. Sounds like all they had was a traditional alternate air source, which means it's going to be more difficult to do the swim and more exhausting to do the swim when you're already low. And then what we find out here, you know, right now is now Todd's coming up completely in a different area for where they had the accident, which is why the rescue divers started with a bad spot and it took a long time to even find the body. I remember teaching a class years ago 
where we went up to Tobomori to do a class. And I was doing, you know, like on the way up there, I found out, oh, hey, you got to do this guy's advanced class while you're up there. So one of the dives we were doing was his deep dive. He had just been sold a dry suit. The guy's really brand new. We go down to do his deep dive on a wreck that starts in 30 feet and slopes down to about a hundred. We turn around, we turn around, we turn around and of course he loses his buoyancy immediately. and goes all the way up to the surface. <laughs> so I start, you know, following him up, following up, watching him. I could see him splashing and flailing around up at the surface. Right. So I'm easing my way up to him, get up to him. And the wind's blowing like a son of a bitch. We're drifting, 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 just cruising, cruising, cruising. Get him squared away. He's okay. He's not hurt. He's doing fine. Okay, let's go back underwater, and we're going to swim, like, in the shallows because the surface current from the wind is just killing us let's get down you know 15 feet where the surface current's gone and we'll just cruise cruise back along these rocks till we get back to where the boat is we submerge start swimming and uh, this guy's like a freight train of bubbles the whole dive wasn't five minutes (laughs) i mean from the time we went down got down to 100 feet he corks I get up to him. It's like a five-minute dive that we were on. But I see the way he's breathing, so I reach down and grab his gauge. It's zero, like now, like right now. It's going to be like zero any second. So I, so I like, oh, my God. So make him share gas. Okay, let's, okay, no more of this. You know, we got to get up. Right? I'm not going to do the swim underwater sharing air. Like this is already a train wreck. And we go up, but I get the, the thinking behind it for these guys, but boy, did it turn out in the wrong way because neither one of them really know what they were doing, right? They got, um, they got snagged in the kelp, uh, the donating diver refused to stop when the guy got snagged because they didn't know how to communicate that there was an issue. The regulator got yanked from his mouth. Uh, he started choking on water when he was fighting to put his regulator, his regulator with a little bit of air left back in his mouth. Just a mess. Let's look at these uh, lessons for life. Lection pour la vie aujourd'hui, pour vous, monsieur. Oui, oui, oui. Ha, ha, ha. No quoi ma plonger. You know what that means? Something diving. I got the plonger. <laughs> make dive plans and modifications to those plans taking into account the skills and comfort level of the diver who has the least experience you've been saying this for years you don't do trust me dives i trust no one you you got a plan to that diver with the least amount of experience you do now in this case they were both really without experience which is why they were taking an advanced class and probably 
expecting, I don't know, an instructor <laughs> <laughs> to be watching them to see how they're performing. Yes, but according to standards for the nav dive, you don't have to be in the water with them. The, the right. instructor they, doesn't even have to be in the water. <laughs> they just got to <laughs> come back. Yeah, you can supervise from the surface. <laughs> that dive flag's been out there a long time, Bob. How's your students doing? I thought they were supposed to be doing a. I thought they were supposed to be doing a square there, Bob. That that thing hasn't moved in the last hour and a half. Do not allow yourself to be overruled by a strong-willed buddy. Act in your own best interest. Do only what you feel you are capable of doing. So yeah, uh, peer pressure is a son of a bitch a in general, but underwater, it's really, really bad, eh? It can uh, definitely force you, at least mentally, force you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Now, there's a line, I would say, between peer pressuring someone to do a trust-me dive and trying to mentor someone to taking their diving to the next level. Right. Mentoring, you would have assessed their skill level, their level of experience. You, you'll have a little background on them. You'll know a little bit about their capabilities and their skills and what they know about diving versus knowing nothing and just pushing your limit and hoping they're able to uh, accomplish it safely. Yeah, you you need to get to know each other before you can trust each other to do a dive that's at the limit of your training and experience. Right. In a missing buddy situation, if at all possible, signal for help from the last known position of the buddy or mark that position to aid other divers in the search and rescue process. This is something that when you do rescue level training, you really, you learn because you really can see the value of having that good spot of where the accident was. So lastly, the lesson for life, the last one here is if your buddy does not exist, If your buddy does not acknowledge your hand signals or is otherwise unresponsive, end the dive and take your buddy with you to the surface, if at all possible. Yeah, so the four lessons for life are basically don't do trust me dives. Don't fall to peer pressure. The value of having a good spot in an emergency. And teammates need to be able to communicate. You can't just be two divers with the same color fins, so you guys are a buddy team. Go do this dive that's expanding your level of experience and training. That is setting yourself up for failure. Well, isn't the instructor culpable for some of this? You would certainly think so. I think the instructor I think the instructor would be more to blame than the buddy that lived, right? Because the buddy that lived was there to do training because he doesn't know what he's doing yet. He's trying to find guidance. So it, it, I don't understand the fact of just sending the students off on their own. 
Well, I, I get the idea. They are certified divers. You are not putting them in a in an environment that they. And this is where maybe we don't know. Are they used to diving in this environment? Is this environment a challenge to them? Have they never dove in a kelp bed? Do they understand this canopy is over you, and while you can break through it, it is still an overhead, and you're going to either swim under it or swim over the top of it. It's still going to affect your dive. Yeah, sure. Well, I guess what we have here is we don't know if they've had experience in that exact environment before. And and did the instructor did the instructor know that? Well, I would think that if I were the instructor and had two new divers come to me, before I told them just go do these dives on your own, I'm gonna sit here on the beach and watch your flag. Hopefully it comes back to the spot. I'm going to get in the water and assess their ability so I know what can actually advance their experience level. Yeah, and also you'll know if this will be pushing their limits. If right. anything, even the slightest goes wrong, are they going to spiral into a, a disaster? Yeah, when I do a, an advanced class, the first thing we do is go down and work on some buoyancy, and right. we do a skill assessment of I, so I can get the feel of who am I working hey, with? Hey, yeah, what am I working with? Whoa, we actually need to dumb this class back mm-hmm. a little bit or you, you might get down and find out that just telling them to do a square pattern they can already do that let's actually take their navigation up a level but the only way you're going to know that is by assessing it firsthand as the instructor and same thing with the the first dive of the rescue is assessing that skill level to see what you can work with and what you what you can do. And are they really advanced enough and ready to do some of the rescue skills? Or do we need to improve their own buoyancy and comfort in the water? All right. So I guess my lesson for life that I would give to Jean-Paul Postmortem and Todd and Todd's instructor would be that buddies are bad. Teammates, on the other hand, are good. That's my takeaway. Yes. Uh, the, the whole thing about dive buddy, just being another body in the water with you, that's, yeah, that's not really a, a great model to go by, to, to, to learn by. You're right. You got to have a teammate. You got to have somebody who's on the same page. You at least have to know the skill level of the person and their abilities. You have to know where they're at. And that's, I mean, we talk about this. There's no real um, uniformity with students coming out of open water certification. Uh, it's very right. dependent on the quality of instruction you get, the quality of instructor. And the, the low, very low bar allows you know anybody to be an instructor almost and all that does is perpetuate the level of training that we see right now right and that's where they they go through some buddy skills in the open water but that's different than being out in the real world trying to maintain neutral buoyancy and having a problem that you're trying to communicate when you're used to stopping and getting negatively buoyant and holding on to something and settling down anytime 
your instructor's trying to communicate something to you or you to them. The real world doesn't offer that, which is where we, we see things just spiral out of control for these two, unfortunately. So it's all about la communication et comprehension, Monsieur Brando. Compas so mauvais. Buddies are bad. Coéquipiers sont bons. Mais teammates are good. That's that's my that's my conclusion at the end of this story that took a little quote unquote turn for the worse. Written by John Hardy in uh, Scuba Diving Magazine. You can still find this article online at scubadiving.com. Along with a lot of the other lessons for life. Some of which we have done on this fine show of ours. All right, so. Sign logbooks. Let's sign these damn logbooks. Verjaka. Go ahead. You get okay, to sign mine yours. first. Yes. Don't sign it in French. Su- I am, I am. Sur la jour de la plongée, Monsieur Brando. <laughs> C'est très bien. Cette plonge. Nous plongeons. <laughs> okay. Merci, bo- Merci <laughs> beaucoup. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. <laughs> Merci. Merci beaucoup. That's what I'm going to write in yours. <laughs> All right, everybody. We hope you like, enjoyed this uh, dive, this lesson for life, and we will see you next week for International Universal World Planetary Cave Diving Month, the beginning. Interplanetary Cave Diving Month. Interplanetary Cave Diving Month. I like it. Let's go. Okay, let's we'll go. We'll see you next it. week. Oh, safe diving, Sherry's. Blurry, blurry.